In our continuing series on how fundamental are the fundamentals, we come to the seventh message, What Should I Believe About Divine Healing? There are many books on the subject. There are many voices on the subject. I'm not sure that all of them are books that we ought to be reading and voices we ought to be hearing, but we're going to turn to the Bible today for this theme. Not only would I like you to study Psalm 107 and 1 Peter 2, but I would ask you in your spare time to read again the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 talks about the principles of his kingdom and then move into chapter 8 where he demonstrates those principles. In chapter 8 of Matthew, you will discover that as soon as Jesus comes down from the mount, he sets in motion those principles with powerful demonstration. He meets a leper. The leper wants to be healed. And Jesus says, I will be clean. And then there is the centurion who comes about his servant who is sick at home. Jesus says, you don't have to come under my roof. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. He spoke the word and he was healed. Then there was Peter's mother-in-law. She was home, sick with a fever. Jesus entered the house, touched Peter's mother-in-law, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered to those in the house. Then two demoniacs greeted Jesus. And Jesus cast those demons out of those two men, and they were clothed and in their right mind. In Matthew 8, verse 16, it says, He cast out the spirits with the word and healed all that were sick. Every time you come across demons or sickness in the scripture, you will find that word, all. He healed all, which somewhat expresses the heart of God. Nothing is more apparent in the ministry of Jesus than the concern he had for the sick. It was Jesus who said, The whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I have two big questions for you in this 20th century. Number one, does God care less now for us than he did them? And number two, does God love us less now than he loved them? I think our answer would be obvious. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord Jesus cares the same for us, and the Lord Jesus loves us the same. Therefore, it is obvious in Scripture that one of the doctrines delivered unto the saints, as Jude 3 says, is that of healing our bodies. The ministry of healing is a key part of the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus demonstrated after he talked about the principles of the kingdom. Both Old and New Testaments give witness to God's provision for the healing of humanity. Now, two points to my message. There will be several subpoints, but write them down so you will not let them escape you. Number one, where did sickness start? It is intriguing to me that 
people forget how this all began. Going back to the first chapter of the Bible, you will discover that God created us perfect. There was no sickness when God created man. Verse 31 of the first chapter in the Bible says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Psalm 139 verse 14 records the words of King David who agreed with Genesis 1 when he said that man was awesomely and wonderfully made. Well, then what went wrong? What went wrong? Obviously, something malfunctioned along the way. We wear glasses, bifocals, trifocals. We have arthritis. We have the gout. We have ear aches and eye aches and nosebleeds. Our limbs are crooked sometimes. Our bodies are racked with disease pain and suffering, how could it be when the Bible says that God made us perfect? Well, a single act of disobedience plunged man into a long dark fall from the presence of God. And whenever you get away from the presence of God, you have trouble. Do you remember that that first couple had access to everything in the garden with one exception? I said to a class this past Wednesday night, why is it that, we walk, that when we walk into a park and there's a beautiful bench there with a sign on it, wet paint, we have to walk over and touch it to see if that sign is really true. What is there in us that makes us do that? If you want to mess up a wall that you've just painted, Put a sign on it, fresh paint. That's the way to mess it up, because people will come along and touch it. Well, they had access to everything in the garden except one thing. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Thou shalt surely die. Physical death was the direct result of the spiritual transgression which caused Adam and Eve to be driven from the presence of God. We have been on the run ever since. A process of deterioration began in that moment. It wouldn't have happened if man had remained in right relationship with God. One day, God is going to show us again what he wanted it to be like. In a millennium, a thousand-year period, when he said the lion will lay down by the lamb, they will not learn war anymore. There will be peace on earth for a thousand years, and we will not be destroyed during that time. That's the way he wanted it in the beginning. The process of deterioration is called sickness and aging. Notice the word disobedience. Put a hyphen after the dis. You have obedience on one end, you have dis on the other, and it makes disobedience. Notice how that affects our English language. We have dis-ease, disease. 
We have ease over here. We put the dis on it, and we have disease or disease because of disobedience. We have disorder. Order over here. Dis here. Disorder because of disobedience. We have disability, distress, discomfort, disaster, discord. We have discouragement, disharmony, disintegration, dispossess, displeasure, disrespect, disrupt. Because of one single act, disobedience. They went and touched the paint. They took the one thing they were told not to touch. Destroyers of health came because of disobedience. Now, we all know that overwork is harmful to the body, but we overwork anyway for the almighty buck. And the doctor says, cut back, and we don't cut back. We're disobedient, so we have disorder, disability, distress, discomfort, disaster. It's printed on the packages. Smoking can lead to cancer. We puff like crazy. Blow out our brains. Letting that little cancer stick control our life. But I think the craziest of all is when they stick it in their lip. And they walk around like this all day long. And they say, hi, my name is George. What's your name? I'm going home now, boss. And we, we stick it right in here somewhere and we talk like we don't have too much sense. And we get paid a million dollars to play baseball and we stand up there with the bat with this stuff stuck in our lips. Throw the ball! Throw the ball! Disease, disorder, disobedience. I'm going to stick a little bit of cancer inside my mouth. I've gone to college and I learned this is really smart. Well, you can do it if you want to. Just like you can have illicit sex and carry herpes and AIDS. Improper diet. Some of you right here are digging your grave with your teeth. The undertaker doesn't have to. You're doing it now. Inadequate rest and inadequate sleep. Disobedience brought a fall that has not ended. Graft, lying, cheating, excess of all kinds has polluted us morally, spiritually, and physically. Earl Long, former governor of Louisiana, once said of another politician, you know how you can tell that fellow's lying? Watch his lips. If they're moving, he's lying. That illustrates where we've gone. Because of disobedience, we have disintegration, displeasure, disrespect, disrupt, discouragement, discomfort, disaster, discord, all of it because of an act of disobedience.
that's where it came from. We're all affected. Well, how can sickness be stopped? That's number two. Where did it come from? How can it be stopped? Now, you've got to get these points. Number one, believe the Bible. The Bible is the everlasting Word of God. And here is what the Bible says. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says it so beautifully. With his stripes we are healed. Believe that. We read from Psalm 107 verse 20 today. He sent his word and healed them. In Acts 10, 38, the apostle of our Lord Jesus said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That's what the book says. Believe that book. It is the word of God on the subject of healing. It is God's will to heal his people. According to the book, believe the Bible. Now, there are people who will tell you that passed away with the apostles. That is nonsense because people are being healed today. People have been healed in the sanctuary this morning. I believe as I talk, people can be healed right here and out there where they are watching this program by television. If they will believe, there is healing according to the word of God. And when you apply that word, it brings the answer. It brings the result. The Bible says so. Number two, accept the price paid for healing. Notice, with his stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 2.24, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. He was broken that we might be whole. Oh, I love him for that. They took that cat of nine tails and lashed his back 39 times, peeled the flesh off. They hit him with a club. They pulled out his beard. They stuck a crown of thorns on his brow and pushed it into his scalp. They spit on him. They reviled him. They nailed him to a cross. They taunted him, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. He was wounded. He was broken. He bare our sicknesses in his own body on that tree, neighbor. And if you will accept the price paid for healing, you will find wholeness because that's what that part of the atoning work of Christ is all about, brokenness for our wholeness. What do we say when we come to the communion? This is my body which was broken for you. He didn't do it because it was pleasant. He didn't do it because he necessarily thought it would be a wonderful way to spend a day. He said, I am broken for you, and this bread is symbolic of my body, which was broken that you might have wholeness. If you will understand that, you will be closer to the victory that you choose. Number three, remove all barriers. What is one of the barriers we face? Unbelief. Unbelief. He could not do their many mighty works because of their unbelief. Matthew 13, 58, in his hometown of Nazareth, 
It could be like your hometown, wherever you are. Unbelief reigns there. Churches are cold. There is no faith. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Pick up that telephone. Call that number. And let somebody pray with you. There is victory by faith. Not every town is like Nazareth. In Nazareth there was unbelief. He was hindered. The mighty hands of the almighty God were limited because of unbelief in his own hometown. Number two, unforgiveness. Remove all barriers. You've got to remove the barrier of unforgiveness. I am convinced that a lack of forgiveness or an unforgiving spirit hinders the flow of God in our lives. It blocks the life source. A pastor took a church and no one was being healed. He preached on the subject of love for one year. Love for Christ, love for each other, love for the world. And as that message started to penetrate that congregation, healings began to take place in their midst. Unforgiveness started flowing out of their spirit. A forgiving spirit set in. Husbands were forgiving their wives. Wives were forgiving their husbands. Parents were forgiving their children. Things began to happen. Healing began to flow. You can't expect God's touch if you have an unforgiving spirit. Bring it to the cross. He said there, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We must have that same spirit. Number three, hold on now. This one's going to hurt a little bit. Barriers, disobedience in giving. Ah, Malachi 3, bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse and prove me herewith, saith the Lord, that I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. I will destroy the devourer, or translated the curse, for your sake. Now hear me, people. You can't rob God and come to him as a thief and say, heal my body. Now that just doesn't make sense. Disobedience in giving is one of the prevalent sins in the church today. People will not obey the word. They're going to hold on. They're going to clench their fists when it isn't even theirs to begin with. Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the ability? Who gave you the opportunity? God did. He says, bring a tenth of everything you earn and give it to my church for the world's sake and for your sake. And I will pour you out a blessing. And in that blessing, there is healing. Well, not too many amens on that one, I notice, but uh, it's the truth nonetheless. Now, come on, put that shoe on. It'll fit. And number four, you've got to remember God is no respecter of persons. What is the barrier? That I'm not worthy? I run into it all the time. I'm not worthy. God doesn't love me like he loves somebody else. God doesn't care about me like he cares about somebody else. That's nonsense. God loves us all the same. God has no favorites. 
God loves you. God wants to bestow his blessings on you. He wants to give you what you have need of. God responds not to our position, but to our faith. He's no respecter of persons. Those are the four barriers that keep you from wholeness. Now, I've got one more point. Practice the New Testament pattern. All right, what is it? Thank you for asking. It is a two-step stepladder. Number one, Mark 16, verses 15 through 20. These signs shall follow those that are in the ministry. It doesn't read that way. Have you looked at it lately? These signs shall follow those who what? Can others believe besides ministers? Really? Besides television evangelists? Really? Those who what? What? Those who what? What will happen? Signs will follow. They shall. Who shall? Those who believe. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall remain sick. That's not right. Have you read it lately? They shall what? Recover in the 20th century? They'll recover in this day of enlightenment, in this day of knowledge and pseudo-sophistication? They will what? Oh, my goodness. What is the seminary going to say about that? It's about time we walked around with our hands outstretched as believers, laying our hands on the sick instead of saying, I think I've got the antidote. It's in my medicine box. Just a minute. And if this doesn't work, maybe we can call the preacher and maybe he'll pray. New Testament pattern. They, these believers, will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Parents with their children, husbands with their wives, person to person. There is power, you see, in the hands of the believer because Jesus' body went back to heaven. He could not walk around and put his hand on us in the fleshly sense of the word. But he said, I'm going to give you that power. I'm going to put that power in every believer who dares trust me. And they can go around laying their hands on the sick and they'll recover. Now, don't do it suddenly, but do it. Signs will follow them that believe. That's the first step in the ladder. Number two, James 5.14. We do it every Sunday around here. Man, I'm spitting all over myself today. James 5.14 says, call for the elders. That's the second step in the step ladder. Call for the elders. Let them anoint with oil, pray the prayer of faith, lay hands on the sick, and that prayer will raise them up. And if they have committed sins, they will be forgiven them. So we do that every Sunday. And every church ought to do that. Everyone watching us by television ought to go to their preacher and say, Preacher, preacher.
Preacher, listen to me. Preacher, according to the Bible, James 5, 14, we ought to be praying for the sick. The elders ought to be ready. And the preacher's going to have to open his Bible again and read it and set it in motion. A Methodist lady came to our service one Sunday and she heard the call for prayer and she came forward because she had a rash on her arm and it was causing her a great deal of discomfort. And she met me out in the lobby after service and she was jerking on her sleeve and she said, Oh, Reverend, Reverend, look, it's gone, it's gone. I said, What's gone? She said, The rash. I said, What rash? She said, The rash that I came in with, look, it's all gone. I didn't see anything, so I had to believe her it was gone. If it was there before, it wasn't there then. She said, I'm going to go home to my preacher and tell him that we've got to do this in our church. <laughs> and in Acts 19, 12, now listen, God wrought unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Handkerchiefs, aprons. See, when I was growing up, the pulpit used to be covered with handkerchiefs and cloths, and the elders would anoint those, and people would pick them up and take them to their sick ones and lay that on their sickness, and God would deliver them because it's in Acts 19. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. That's what we need to believe about divine healing. Now, what's the greatest ingredient in healing? Without doubt, it's faith. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, you use your faith and Jesus will move over a million people just to get to you. Now the Bible backs that up. In Luke, a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years spent everything she had. She crawled on her knees through the crowd and she reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And the Bible says, virtue flowed from him into her. She was immediately healed. She pressed through the crowd. You remember that? When Jesus came to the pool at Bethesda, he looked at that multitude of impotent folk. Found the one that needed him the most. He always sees through the millions the one who has faith. Could it be you? While I'm preaching right now, could it be you? Could it be like other people that I have ministered to through the years who have come and said, while you were preaching, my back was healed, the pain disappeared. While you were preaching, the tumor disappeared. While you were preaching, the headache left. While you were talking about faith, God sat by me and ministered to my need. It's faith. We will leave here in a few moments. Hundreds and hundreds of us, some touched, some untouched, because of faith or the lack of faith. Now in closing, I want you to look at John 10, verse 10 with me. Jesus Christ is talking in John 10, 10, and he says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Who is the thief? Satan. It does not say that God came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It says the thief came to do that. The thief cometh. And that's exactly right. The devil set about disturbing God's order. Disobedience ensued. And we're paying a great price. The thief came to kill, to steal, to destroy. But Jesus goes on to say, 
but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. What does that mean? Full and meaningful. I interpret that to mean I can be healthy. I can be well. I can be spiritually in tune. I can be physically in tune. I can be morally in tune because Jesus said the thief comes to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Do you believe that? Now I can hear some of you say, then why do people die from sickness? Because we all have to die. That should not destroy our faith. Death is God's greatest healing touch to the believer. All you do is exchange this world for heaven and for glory and victory. And I say, so why not make that swap? We're all going to have to die. It should not destroy our faith in healing. We keep praying for the sick. We keep believing. And one of these days, the greatest healing of all will take place when we step into the presence of Jesus. In the meantime, let us allow his power to flow through us. Let us allow his grace to fill us. Let us allow his life to heal us. That's why he came and took all of those scars and all of those wounds that we might, with his stripes, be whole. I love Jesus so much because he was willing to take all of that for me. Now, friends, I want to tell you that I'm experiencing what I'm preaching to you. If I should get sick tomorrow and die, it should not take away one iota from what I've said. I have lived my life practicing the principles that I've preached to you today. I have not missed an appointment since 1958 in a very busy, busy, busy life with a schedule that chokes a horse sometimes. Certainly chokes my wife. She's not a horse, but she's... <laughs> she gets kind of choked once in a while. But I'm here to just testify to you that God gives strength, and God gives glory, and God gives energy, and God gives health, and God gives life. Will we practice the principles? Will you accept this word from God that's what I think you should believe about divine healing. You are important to him, and you're important to him right now. Now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're in this room. You're moving by your spirit. I believe you're making the word of God come to life in the hearts of many. I pray that you will give them boldness now to respond to the invitation. And I ask this in Jesus' great name. While our heads are bowed, how many of you need to forgive somebody? You're choking off the life source by unforgiveness. Raise your hand. God spoke to you. Raise your hand. Unforgiveness. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to get it out of your system. Come on, raise it up. Raise it up. I want to pray for you today. Oh, yes, many hands throughout this audience. Please put them down. How many of you, when I talked about giving, 
would have to admit, I haven't been following the pattern. I want to stop stealing from God, and I want the life source to flow. Would you raise your hand? That's going to take some courage. Come on now, lift it up. If God spoke to you from his word, lift up your hand. Don't be ashamed. Don't, don't hesitate. Lift it up. Everybody comes on the same percentages. Oh, yes, many hands. God bless you. God bless you. Now, lastly, how many of you need Jesus in your heart? You just need forgiveness. You need a cleansing. You need to know that Jesus is your Savior. Would you like to lift your hand right now and let me pray for you in this great audience? Yes, thank you back there. Thank you over here. Thank you back there. Thank you over there, and down here, and over here and others. Lift them up and hold them till I see them. Then you may put the hand down. Yes, thank you. Right here in the middle. Back over here to my left. Thank you. God bless you. Jesus is touching you. Yes, sir, over here. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you over there in the far right-hand corner. Jesus cares about you. He died for you. Yes, I see another hand right in the middle here. God loves you. God bless your heart. Oh, I tell you what, those of you who just raised your hand for salvation, will you get up now and stand, move to an aisle and start coming down here to the front where I am? Will you do that right now? While people watching us by television all over America begin to respond as well, let Jesus come into your heart just as these are here. He loves you. Staff, will you come and stand with us here as these people begin to come from everywhere in this auditorium? Just get up and come. Hundreds have done it before. You don't hesitate.